Welcome again, our webinar viewers and our Facebook Live viewers. I'm Kathy Boswell with Jill Summerlot, and I'm happy to introduce Dr. Kelly Grillo and Karen Davies. Um, they're going to do this wonderful presentation for us on advocating and addressing assistive technology in the IEP. Want to specify, Facebook Live viewers, your questions have to be posted uh, to the links that are contained within Facebook Live. Okay, uh, Kelly. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me and Karen to discuss this very important topic of addressing and advocating for assistive technology in the IEP. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm a coordinator of special education services at the Cooperative School Services. It's in the Northwest area of Indiana. My schools are South Newton and North Newton High School, um, actually all of the schools. Um, and I'm also a volunteer for InSource and newly uh, named as an InSource director on the board of directors. Um, I also do a lot of volunteer work for the Council for Exceptional Children and also the Indiana branch of the um, of IDA or International Dyslexia Association. For those of you that don't know, I'm also a person with a disability and how I access high quality material and retain that material is through reading with my ears or using assistive technology known as text-to-speech or a screen reader. Um, I do this on a regular basis and in order for me to be competitive professionally and to do my best work, I need to have access to these things. And so I'm very much an advocate because there's so many more brilliant people like me who could have a pathway to earning their PhD and advocating for other people with disabilities at a high regard and have their voices heard. So I really do this to lift up my mother who is gone, she died at 63, She's been gone for over five years and she was dyslexic and illiterate and didn't feel like she had a place in education, nor did educators or schools ever really truly include, sorry, I get a little choked up, um, really include her. So I do this work in her honor. Karen? Thank you, hi, I'm Karen Davies. And I work at the Indiana Department of Education. I am the accessibility specialist and in the Office of Assessment. I, and I work with um, all the accessibility features and accommodations that are available to students that need them. Prior to that, I was a special education teacher for 18 years until I joined the department 15 months ago. And Karen, we're so happy that you're doing the work there because we need you. Karen and I are on speed dial through email. So <laughs> thank you so much for always being so responsive. Um, to give us a little bit of an overview of what we're gonna do today, we are going to glance at Article 7. If you've never read the full Article 7, InSource has Article 7 linked from their website please do yourself a favor as an advocate or a parent of a child with a disability, get very familiar with Article 7. Article 7 was reestablished last May 2019, so it's in a new version. 
Um, Article 7 has to be in line with the federal law, IDEA, but it also can strengthen or go beyond what our federal law requires for special education services. We're going to take a look at what advocates need to know about assistive technology. We're going to examine the IEP system, where in the IEP we address assistive technology. And we're going to make sure that we review the different types of assistive technology that are allowable within the state assessment, um, your annual assessments. And we're going to talk about how to create a plan for assessment success. And then we're going to look at some common pitfalls. We'll conclude today's session with some question and answer. Because question and answer is so very um, customizable for whoever is on the call, we're going to stop the recording at that time. However, if anyone out there that ever sees a recording in the future has a question for Karen or myself, we make ourselves available. So at the end of this presentation, you'll also have our personal email accounts. Um, feel free to contact us. I do so much advocacy and conversations with families, whether it's in Twitter, direct messages, or um, just conversations whenever we're at conferences. Any chance, sorry, any chance you get to become a little bit more personable and knowledgeable and have those personal relationships in the benefit for a student with an IEP, we're all doing the work that much greater. I do really honestly feel like this work, it measures up to relationships. So really keep that in the back of your mind as we discuss these technical components today. So the overview of assistive technology in Article 7. So Article 7 says a public agency shall provide instructional materials and equipment and assistive technology devices and services as defined by the law. There should be specified within the student's IEP. It's on a case-by-case -case basis. The school has to purchase the assistive technology devices, it, and these devices are allowed to be used in the student's home. For instance, I use a screen reader. It would be ludicrous to think that I could read with my eyes versus my ears once the school day ended and I have to put my, you know, school issued iPad or laptop in the mobile cart plugged in overnight at school. So it is your child's right if they are to access the general education curriculum and to have a free and appropriate public school education. If you document within that case conference document and you say that these devices are needed in order to receive FAPE or that free and appropriate public education, then we have to allow those devices in the home and to be taken at school. And there's a new guidance coming out to all the special ed directors so that this message is sent again. Because we know as a result of COVID, some students or certain students had their devices at school and didn't have access to these the, you know, school issued devices and families were shuffling and we do know that and we have had questions about that. It is your child's right if they are accessing the general education curriculum as a result of those supports to have those devices in the home. All right, so what are some of these things that we say Article 7 addresses? Accessible format. 
So it means an alternative approach to presenting information. And this would be documented within that IEP. So the student is already considered to be identified with a disability. And so those things are included and it does, it's not limited to these eight. It's braille, audio, digital text, large type, tactile graphics, video, captions, and auto descriptions. Now, assistive technology could be something that you use for sensory supports or graphics for daily schedules. So these things, although they're not plugged into the wall, are still supports that the case conference committee deems necessary for the student to be successful within the general education curriculum. So that's why these eight are mentioned, but it's not limited. So what do advocates need to know? So annually within the IEP, our team is charged with establishing student need. So if we can say the student has a barrier, for me, my barrier is reading. And that reading is organically defined within my disability. I was served under the disability of a perceptual impairment, under the specific learning disability. So my team would have said, yes, Kelly is impaired and is not reading to grade level. Well, it is our job as the case conference committee to decide what supports are required to bridge that gap or reduce the barrier. So we're gonna use the vehicle of the IEP to develop strategies and supports that the student needs in order to be successful in school. Now, when we say the word success, I believe that the case conference committee is successful when we document the use of any assistive technologies, we have the student becoming fluent with those assistive technologies, and what I mean by this is we measure reading fluency pretty typically in the K-1-2. We're going to look at the frequency of number and, you know, letter naming. We're going to take a look at the frequency of word calling. Whatever the case may be, if you say a student has access to a screen reader, but you never actually measure, in fact, does the student know how to turn it on? Are they able to turn on multiple different types of screen readers on different devices in different platforms? We use a lot of reading tools within our K-12 schools and throughout our day from teacher to teacher. Does the student, in fact, know how to access their text digitally so that they can read with their ears in every single setting? So we're saying success is going to be when we can document the student is fluent and it's truly independently allowing that child access to the general education curriculum. So where in the IEP do we truly see um, assistive technology percolating? If you take a look at this dashboard, this is what all of the teachers of record who are responsible for documenting and establishing a new IEP for your child or the student in which you're advocating. So I have a couple of boxes circled or there's a red highlight around accommodations, around goals, and around provisions. So on the accommodations page, if a student is, for instance, needing Braille, 
or they need the screen reader, or they're allowed to use dictation, you have an area on the IEP that says daily accommodations. Daily accommodations should link to or drive assessment accommodations. So your daily accommodations, when the case conference committee feels it's appropriate that certain accommodations are needed to you know, truly access the general education curriculum, we would select those. Those pre-selections drive the testing accommodations. Now, if there's not a specific category that you're feeling meets the need of the student that you're discussing, we can individualize accommodations under a little box that is like other. <laughs> you're allowed to describe more in depth what the student needs. So in this area, I oftentimes put, you know, use of graphic organizers. If we know the student has a high processing ability with visual representation, but maybe their listening comprehension is impaired. So I might say visually, graphically organizing notes or large bodies of information in chunks. Because for some of my kiddos, they need that. They don't have strong listening comprehension. So we allow the student's strengths paired with their barriers to, to really help us establish the accommodations. On that tab, there's many accommodations that would be considered assistive technology. Now, if we say the student is requiring an accommodation, we cannot assume they can do the accommodation with independence by themselves. So under goals, I would create some sort of goal. And let's say, you know, fourth graders are typically working on some writing. If I know I have a student that is using dictation and they for some reason have a barrier of using let's say their left arm and they're going to be better suited to dictate answers inside of the writing goal I would say you know Kelly is a student that requires dictation and so we're going to document the present level and so we'll say you know we want Kelly when given an on grade level prompt to write a four sentence paragraph that has multisyllabic words and allows Kelly to anchor text in her answer. So if you did that, you would then make the assumption Kelly is using dictation and the product of her work, let's say she uses Google Docs. We know that Kelly has been trained to turn on the dictation feature inside of the Google Docs feature. And if she produces a paragraph and she is in fact using dictation in your room, you can then give and moderate that goal. You can give some metrics. No, Kelly only produced two sentences. She did not use multisyllabic you know, words. We're gonna continue to work on having Kelly use the dictation support and write up to those four sentences that are our goals for her. Or maybe it's a five paragraph essay, but it's going to be very specific towards getting Kelly to on grade level using those accommodations. And so that on the day of the statewide testing assessment, it wouldn't be Kelly's first time having to articulate to a computer so that the computer can dictate her words. 
So hopefully that makes sense. Um, under the provisions, we have a tab that says the need for assistive technology. And then you would describe what that is. So I sometimes will write on the school issued device, Kelly will be issued the device and taught how to use dictation tools or how to use screen reader. So you wanna be specific as to what it is that Kelly is using and the features in which she is using. It's not so much that we're gonna name a program or the name of a device, it's the function. So if we know that screen reading is the need, we don't wanna limit Kelly by saying one device. Cause what if she goes to art and art has a different type of, excuse me, a different type of device. We want to make sure that the function of what we're hoping to get at or the skill is the focus, not the device or a program. So here's the accommodations tab. So we're going to take a look. Directions and content um, is read aloud to the student or that speech to text. So if we toggle that on the um, accommodations for testing, you can see that it says text is read aloud. And now it'll say except for items um, addressing reading comprehension. There's some new Senate, there's a new Senate bill that is addressing comprehension. And so there's going to be more that comes out on that. But I'm an advocate and of the opinion that if you took my screen reader away, my test is going to be invalidated because you're not going to really know what I know. Um, because I use it pretty fluently. I have a very wide vocabulary. I'm a very smart person, but I have to use reading with my ears to fully access materials so that you know what I know. So there's some changes coming up, and I don't know if Karen will talk about that today. Um, so then we want to make sure that we save and continue. So this is a little joke, um, Roll Tide. So Tide is the program that um, our accommodations push to our state testing site. So when we don't hit the save and continue, we sometimes have some flaws. So parents or advocates, if you have a teacher record that reaches out to you and says, hey, um, I was wondering, I was reviewing your child's accommodations for testing and noticed one that we discussed was not included. Is it okay if I make a correction because this needs to be corrected for our statewide testing? Um, sometimes we have a revise without a meeting with just your verbal consent on the phone to make sure that all of the testing accommodations are in fact going to be granted to your child. All right, so here's an idea of linking this, like what is Kelly currently doing and what is her need? How do we get to specifically designed instruction and then nail down a goal for her? So here's a present level. Kelly is currently reading below grade level according to the Fontes and Pinnell reading assessment. Fluency and accuracy continue to be difficult for Kelly. However, it is because of her phonics needs or decoding. She has improved fluency. Her words correct per minute are at 97 and her spoken vocabulary is fluent as evidence of content vocabulary comparable to her grade, grade level peers. During question and answer, Kelly is able to produce thoughtful and articulate answers using targeted vocabulary, content vocabulary. However, when submitting written responses independently, Kelly often uses simple terms to avoid spelling complex terms 
or does not submit extended writing altogether. Kelly benefits from the use of a scribe. However, the team has discussed her using technology to increase independence with her writing tasks. So that would be that dictation. So under specifically designed instruction, Kelly will receive supports to utilize dictation on her school-issued device for writing tasks. Now, I have had parents say, well, what about using it on her phone? And what about using it on an iPad? So if your team believes there's multiple devices, know again that this is the skill that we're teaching. It's not really about the device. However, if you want your child or the child you're advocating for to have support on multiple devices because they're in their world and their environment, I am of the opinion that a student gets to full independence when they know how to use multiple systems that are in their environment in a natural way. So you absolutely can bring up the idea that there's different types of devices throughout the school day and in the home and that you want your child to be fluent on each of those so that you want somebody to be working with them to moderate, is this occurring? So here's the goal. Given an on grade level writing task, Kelly will produce a paragraph with at least three complex sentences that contain text evidence in two out of three trials. So you'll notice that I don't say Kelly will use X assistive technology. Now, she's going to have the task that is about writing. And what we've already established is that when writing is presented to Kelly, her accommodation that the case conference committee all discussed and agreed on and documented in the accommodations tab, she requires the use of dictation. So there's two things occurring. Is she fluent with dictation and can she write this paragraph? So you've got to moderate what is the barrier. We've got to be real clear. Is it that she can't turn the device on? So if she dictated to a human, could the human scribe for her? So you want to make sure where is the breakdown occurring. So you can really document these things and keep some anecdotal records as well. Alright, so on the provision tab. So we have some questions and it says accessible materials. So any of the accessible materials, if you click yes, there's going to be a couple forms to fill out. There's something in our state called the patents project. They provide the accessible materials and all of the materials students may need in order to access print, whether it's, it's on Braille or audio files. And so you would have to work with them. Um, if the student is just requiring a screen reader and your school has digital text and digital curriculum because all of your books are maybe accessible to, the, to you on your Chromebook, then we would say the student is in need of assistive technology and that a use of a screen reader would be appropriate. And in this case, we're saying a screen reader and dictation. And so establishing the need is the first thing the case conference committee needs to do. Then coming up with what are we going to do to mitigate the barriers? And then how are we going to progress monitor? And so when we think deeply about the children in Indiana, we have 165,000-ish students with an IEP. And getting really deep into this work, for some reason, 
only about 1% of, or less than 1% of all students with disabilities have the AT button clicked. And so I have this cute little graphic that says begin because most people don't click the button out of fear or they don't click the button out of not knowing how or they don't click the button because they're making an assumption that people are accommodating anyway. So that is very dangerous. I'm gonna tell you it's actually ridiculous. If we make an assumption that because our school is one-to-one -one, or because our school is very, you know, privileged to have computers in every setting and students have them, we cannot make the assumption that students are fluent with accommodations. We just can't. Um, when I get a new device, I struggle to learn the new device. I struggle to learn the new setup. Heck, when new devices or the new um, iOS comes out, there's always changes. There's shortcut keys, there's voice commands. There's, I have to play with that device. And when I use the word play, I'm talking as play as work because I've got to become comfortable so that when I need the accommodation, I will go to it under times of stress. If I do not practice it, I'll never get to fluency. So I'm letting you know out of all of the students in Indiana, less than 1% of all students have the AT button toggled. Now, roughly 50% of all students, on the other hand, have the need for text-to-speech. So right here, there's a mismatch. We're making an assumption that because technology is naturally in kids' worlds, that they already have the ability to do this thing. And so if our students, if you take a look at the graph, we have over 60,000 students in the state getting the computer to read to them because their reading is impaired for whatever reason, whatever blindness, dyslexia, any kind of organic function or dysfunction, I should say, that requires them to have a screen reader. Now, if we are only clicking the AT button less than 1%, I can almost assure you we are not focused on teaching children how to use the assistive technology to independence. COVID brought that up quite a bit. Students don't know how to engage students. So there was a lot of Zoom meetings with modeling and people trying to talk families through how to turn on those audio or read aloud features. That was a huge frustration for families. It was a huge frustration for students. We are not doing our students any service by having a human turn on their screen reader for them. I would suggest you never touch a device and you can talk through where to go. Tell them where their settings are and let them navigate. Show them, but not on their device. And quite frankly, during COVID, you shouldn't be touching anybody's device because of spreading germs. So have the students have either a tutorial that they can take a mini tour by themselves and click along, maybe provide a tutorial for the parent, have the student learn the skill so they're not having to depend on a human. Let's take a closer look. I'm gonna give a little segue to Karen. So Karen's been working really, really hard this summer. I don't think she's had a break. And so she'll talk a little bit about um, testing and planning for success. Karen? 
Thank you, Dr. Gerlo, for that introduction. And Carrie, before you yeah. talk, we've had several people that have joined us since we did our initial introduction. Okay. I'd just like to remind folks, Facebook Live viewers, your questions, there's email addresses that you can submit your questions to. But for our live webinar viewers, you can post your questions in the Q&A box. They will be addressed at the conclusion of the webinar and there will be more than adequate time to do so. Thank you, Karen. Yep, you're welcome. So I will introduce myself again to all of you. I am Karen Davies and I work at the Indiana Department of Education. I am the Accessibility Specialist and I've been with the department for about 15 months. I'm specifically working with um, accessibility features and accommodations that students can receive on our state test. So I'm here today to just kind of go through and talk with you about assistive technology on the state assessments. One of the things that's really important is that schools should first identify the needs of the student before they even explore devices and programs that could be available. Once schools have determined the needs of the students, then they need to check for compatibility and allowance on state assessments. The IDOE has an assistive technology manual that we do put on our website so that schools can peruse to determine if specific programs that they are considering are compatible and allowed on state assessments. There are circumstances, unfortunately, where schools have purchased programs that are not approved by IDOE. If this does happen, schools can request approval from the IDOE Office of Assessment. There are cases occasionally when programs that are not included in the assistive technology manual, but do have the capability to shut off features not allowed on Indiana standardized assessments. So what happens is that the schools will fill out a form that is um, available to them in this case, and it's called a fidelity assurance form which states that the school understands some programs they need to use are not on the approved list, but they will ensure that unapproved features are not accessed by the student using the program or device while they're testing. Next slide, please. Thank you. Indiana assessments offer the use of assistive technology for students that utilize them during daily instruction as part of their daily routines. We have speech to text, which allows students to utilize a third party software program to dictate the student's spoken word into the test delivery system, which is what they are testing in. This gives students much more independence over the traditional scribe, which is used for paper assessments. We have alternate computer input technology. This allows students that have physical impairments to interact with a keyboard and um, using a mouse in a keyboard setup. Next, we have assistive keyboard and mouse input technology. They offer additional support to students also with physical impairments who use the keyboard and a, and a mouse in order to respond to their test items. We have screen magnifier technology. This enlarges the content that's displayed on the computer screen in order to assist the students that have low vision or other visual impairments. 
There's assistive technology for braille tests that allows students that are blind to use refreshable braille displays and screen readers. And then the um, Indiana Department of Education Office of Assessment also has a non-standard accommodation form that schools can fill out if they have a device that a student uses that is not in the assistive technology manual. Schools will submit it to the IDOE and if it's approved, then they can use that accommodation while the student is testing. Another consideration is pitfalls to avoid when um, utilizing or looking at um, assistive technology. It is very, very critical that schools ensure students utilize their assistive technology during daily instruction. Um, it would be very unfortunate for a child to have an accommodation um, using that assistive technology the first time when taking a test definitely would cause a lot of anxiety and frustration for that student. One way that um, parents and educators both can practice using assistive technology is through our released items repository. This is the practice test items and it, I have provided the link on the screen so that later you can go in and access that. It's on our website as well. It's very, very important that students utilize their assistive technology on that released items repository to just make sure they're compatible, to make sure it works okay. Schools need to also ensure that it is the assistive technology that they want to utilize or the students are already utilizing um, is approved through the IDOE before they administer the test. And then schools really need to monitor the functionality of the assistive technology device. If it's not meeting the student's needs, then there are other programs that schools can consider using for that child. Next, you will see, um, I'm going to talk about the different accessibility features and accommodations that um, we have available. We have just come out with our 2020-2021 Accessibility and Accommodations Guidance. The link is provided on the screen if you would like to go through it and look. Um, we have three different types of tools that we have available for students. Universal features are those type of features that are available for all students that need um, any, you know, depending on what it is, that is available for all students. They don't need any specific type of plan. Then we have designated features. Those do not require a specialized formal plan either, but they do require that an educator that knows the student really well um, realizes that child has a specific need. And so those are also available to students. And then we have accommodations. Accommodations do require a special plan, such as an IEP, a service plan, a CSEP, Section 504 plan, or an ILP. Um, I know earlier Dr. Grillo was talking about TIDE. That is um, how the accommodations and, and designated features get pulled in for the student when they are testing. Those accommodations must be set in TIDE before the child tests. And so um, that's really important that everything is clear on um, a student's IEP or IOP, as well as um, whatever plan that they're using, that the accommodations are correct and that they're in tide correct. 
And next, I'm going to, I know Dr. Grillo also talked about um, new legislation. Um, she is correct that we have Senate Bill 346. There's new legislation um, for students in grades six through 12. The first one I'm gonna talk to you about today is text-to-speech. Students that participate in iLearn's grade, iLearn grades six through eight and the iStep Plus retest can have all items and passages, including items that measure reading comprehension, read aloud via text-to-speech. If the case conference committee determines the accommodation is appropriate based on student need. So the text-to-speech accommodation would be on um, all items in English language arts. They would be assigned locally based on case conference the case conference decisions, or if it's a 504 based on the 504 committee decisions. Um, they need to review data and instructional strategies for student and just determine that the student has a lifelong inability to read text without support as indicated by challenges with long-term application of reading skills or additional long-term deficits in the area of reading. So that is one of the new legislative um, that we're talking about with Senate Bill 346 is that a student can have text-to-speech on all items. This is grades six through 12. And Karen, I'm just going to say a little segue. Mm -hmm. I want to thank Senator Houchkins for starting that legislation and getting so much momentum. It makes me cry because as a person who has not felt validated because I have to read with my ears until I truly earned a PhD, I never felt smart. And that's not okay for our kids that are truly reading impaired. So this is huge and so meaningful. And I really applaud our legislature and our school leaders to work together to figure this out because we're gonna see kids stay engaged for far longer and graduate at a higher rate because they have the pathway that's appropriate. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we'll go ahead and go to the next slide. We also have Senate Bill, as part of Senate Bill 346 is the calculator usage. Students that have a calculator as an accommodation can also have access to a calculator for all mathematics items. If the case conference committee decision determines the accommodation is appropriate based on student need, I've listed the types of uh, calculators that are available on the screen. You can see what is available. This is also grades six through 12. So it would be iLearn grades six through eight and then the iStep Plus retest that students can have access to the calculator um, for all math items. So at this point in our um, live webinar, we wanna thank everybody for coming. I know that um, on the Zoom version, we've been collecting questions. Um, if you're out on Facebook and you have questions for either myself or Karen, our emails are um, posted here for you. Mine is kjgrillo at gmail.com, J is in Jack. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Kelly Grillo. Then Karen's email is kdavies, I'm going to spell it, k-d-a-b-i-e-s at d-o-e dot i-n 
www.ncpa.gov. If you have questions for either of us, please reach out. I'm sure both Karen and I would either find the answer or provide the answer to you and your case conference committee. Um, we thank you for joining us. And at this time, I believe, Kathy, you're gonna stop the recording.